Would you turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Mark, and we're reading today from Mark chapter 5, Mark the fifth chapter. Next Sunday is Bring a Friend Sunday, the Lord willing, everybody who brings a friend, we want to give you one of these albums called Daybreak Songs of the Savior, and uh, also, we want to give that to the friend you bring. So be sure to bring a friend next Sunday. Also, next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. And we, Brother Bob and Brother Don, have said a word about that. And we want to be ready to, uh, in the Sunday school hour, to place, and in the church service, to place our special offering commitment envelope as a, an act of worship and faith before the Lord. And let's pray that God will help us to get this taken care of. I'm glad to see everyone in this service, and some who are here have had great storms in their lives in recent days. Problems, burdens, troubles, sorrow. And we, our hearts go out to you. We're grateful that you're in this service. God bless you. Before we read from the Bible, let's bow together in a word of prayer, please. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is sufficient. We pray just now that the Holy Spirit would move in people's hearts, calm the storms, wipe away the tears, speak to hearts where there is trouble and, and, and hurt and, and decisions that need to be made. We pray for God's hand upon this hour, those in this auditorium and those who listen by radio that someone who has never received Christ will receive Him, trust Him as Savior, and that everyone, every believer, shall rejoice in the truth of the Word, in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read from Mark chapter 5 and begin with verse 14. I'll be referring to the earlier part of this chapter too. We're in a series of messages through the book of Mark, and we come to chapter 5. Last Sunday, I had planned to preach on the devil's second choice. I'll do that. I'll preach that at another time. But I want to go on with this message today, beginning in verse four, 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with a demon and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with a demon and also concerning the swine. And they began to implore him to depart out of their borders. And when he was coming to the boat, he that had been possessed with a demon implored him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus permitted him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. All men did marvel. The message today, go home and 
to thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee. Go home to thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee. Now that's a, that presupposes that this man had some friends. He had been in the tombs a long time. He had a family. Once, one time he was a little boy. One time he was a young teenager. I'm sure along the way he had had some friends. He had some boy and girl friends. He had some parents who at one time loved him. He had some teenagers who were close cronies of his. And something happened in his adult life. And he was possessed with demons. There's much about demon possession we do not understand. I cannot get into that this morning because of the limitation of time. That'll be another message at another time. But this man was filled with the devil. The devil wants to possess, he wants to obsess, he wants to hurt, he wants to destroy everything he can get his hands on. He's in that business. He possesses those who are lost. And if he can, he will drag them down to an eternal separation from God in a place that Jesus called hell, where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, a forever separation from God. Some in this room, some within the sound of my voice today, may be under the influence and power of the devil. You want to get to God, but you feel you cannot, like this man. Jesus has power to free you from whatever has obsessed or possessed you. Now, believers cannot be possessed by the devil. I do not believe a believer can be possessed by the devil. That is mean, That means so totally taken over that he gets control of you and takes you down to hell. That is impossible because the blood is the barrier. And he that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. But the devil can obsess you. And if I'm not careful, I'll be preaching that message. I must go on. But this background material is important to understand. The devil can obsess you. And I think he does it. I think he tries to hurt it. Believers, some of you in this room, know in your heart that you've had problem after problem after problem after problem, and the devil seems to have just moved in, in your family circle, in your influential circle, and tried to hurt you and tried to obsess you. Well, the devil tries to do that. That's his business. But Jesus can rebuke the devil. Now, I want you to notice about this man among the tombs, several things. Look in verse 2. He was a man with an unclean spirit. In verse 3, his dwelling was among the tombs. No man could bind him, not with chains. In verse 4, his chains had been plucked asunder, the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Verse 5, he was in the mountains, and he was cutting himself with stones. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now this is a man filled with the devil. He ran and worshipped Jesus. And he cried with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. It is interesting as we read the Gospels that sometimes people obsessed and possessed with demons recognized who Jesus was before other people, even before the disciples. This happened a number of times. People who were filled with the devil recognized who Jesus was. And the reason for this is simple. The devil knew who Jesus was. He tried every way he could to block the lineage in the Old Testament, to try to get rid of him. 
And when he was born, he had Herod filled with the devil and tried to kill all the little babies in Bethlehem because he knew that Jesus was there. And all through Jesus' ministry, the devil knew he was and tried to hurt him and tried to destroy him. Now, the devil knows things about you. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. But he knows certain things. And he knows your background. He knows your weak spots. Sometimes he knows them a lot better than you and I know them. And he moves in on those areas. Now, this man was filled, obsessed, possessed with Satan until Jesus came. And then this man came worshiping the Lord and bowing down before him. And, and the Lord said, come out of him. And do you know that that, that demon, those demons, his, their name was Legion. That means there were legions of them. There were hundreds of demons in him. The, 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 the legion didn't come out. And so the legion asked the Lord for leave to go into the herd of swine. Again, we do not have time to discuss that. But the Lord gave them leave. And those demons went into the herd of swine and went rushing down the hill and drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee. That man was clothed. And in his right mind, he was freed from all that hurt and all that the devil was trying to do to him to destroy him and tear him to pieces. Well, the people that owned the swine heard about it. They came out, they couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe that man. That man that was once just so filled with the devil, nobody could be around him. He was left in the tombs and he was left alone. They came out to see about him. And what they saw amazed them. Here was this man that had been crazy, a lunatic, out of his mind, filled with the devil. People were scared of him. He dwelled in the tombs, see, in the side of the, in the, in the, side of the hills there by the Sea of Galilee. They built what we would call catacombs, and they would put bodies into those, into those uh, narrow uh, cave-like places. And the, this man was dwelling down there with old dead bodies. Nobody wanted to be around. They were scared to death of him. And now they come and find that same man clothed in his right mind, sitting there letting Jesus teach him truths. Well, you know what they do? They, it seems like they would say, Dear sir, please come into our city. We have some more that need what you have to give. Come over to our city. We have some more. But no, they wanted their swine more than they wanted Jesus. And they pled with him to leave them alone. He had hurt their property. He had destroyed that which was dearest to them. There are lots of folks like that today. When they see that Jesus comes and interferes with their job, interferes with their pleasure, interferes with their popularity, interferes with their little play things, their toy things, they say, you're just being extreme. You're just being a little fanatical. Why, you can be a Christian and still do this and this and this. Uh, don't bother us with all the spiritual details, but uh, just be a nominal, normal person like everybody else is today. We live in an age of abnormality as far as Christian faith is concerned. You think of the great men of old, Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah, the, all the other prophets, John the Baptist, what, what did they do to them? Pat them on the back, they loved them. Every one of them was murdered, martyred. They were killed for their faith. Beware when all men speak well of you. So they came to Jesus and urged him to go out of their midst. And Jesus was about to go. 
Remember that he does not abide where he's not wanted. I've said to some people who are lost, they turn Jesus down, I say, the Lord is a gentleman. He's a gentleman. He knocks at your door, but he doesn't bust the door down. He doesn't move in if you don't want him. Same way with Christians. If you don't want him to control your life, he's not going to do it. If you don't invite him to control your life, he's not going to do it. If you don't invite him into your home to change the fashions and customs and morals and mores of your life and your home, he won't do it. You have to encourage him. You have to invite him. He knocks, but he won't come in. He's not going to lasso you and knock you down and drag you out and make you serve him. He won't do that. And so the Lord was about to leave. And here was this man clothed in his right mind. And incidentally, he was clothed. Isn't it interesting? When a man gets saved and gets right with God, he puts some clothes on. He doesn't try to be a streaker. He doesn't see how close to being naked he can go around. He wears some clothes, whether there's a man or a woman. When Jesus controls his life, I want to tell you, when we get our standards from Hollywood and the movies and the striptease magazines and everything else and we try to go around looking like them, that is not of God. That's not of the Bible. That's not spiritual. That's not scriptural. That is of the world, of the flesh, of the devil. And when you do that, we're heading towards summer. There are going to be some men and women who will go around as near naked as they possibly can get by with. That's not scriptural. This man, when he got close to Jesus, he got filled with God. He was clothed and in his right mind. Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. But when they sinned, they realized they were, they were filled with sin. And they put fig leaves together to try to hide their nakedness. And God came along and said, that won't do. He killed an animal. It is with blood that men's sins are atoned for and cleansed. And he took the skins of that animal and clothed man and woman. Well, the man said, to, the man that was clothed said, to, Sir, I want to go home. I want to go with you. I don't blame you. Wouldn't you like to go with Jesus? I want to go with you, Lord. I want to go with you. I know you're going to go everywhere you go. There's going to be action taking place. There's going to be some important things taking place. I want to be a man of action. I want to be out there where the action is. Lord, let me go with you. And Jesus had to say one of the most amazing statements in the entire Bible. Sometimes he invited people to go with him, but not everybody. He said to this man, you go home and you tell your friends what great things God has done for you. You go home and tell what great things God has done for you. I want to close this message by bringing three or four statements to you about going home. Number one, I think he was saying, go home to your rootage. Go home to your rootage. Go home where the people are that brought you into the world, your roots. We had a TV program some time ago about the roots, and uh, that uh, caused a great uh, stir among people, and people began to look back in their family trees and so on. You better be careful about how far you go back in your family tree. You might find something you don't want. Well, but, but Jesus said, go home to your rootage. And you know that's the hardest place to be different. Go home where your mom and dad are, where your husband and wife are, where your children are. Go home where you dwell, where, where the people are that know you the best and tell them what God has done for you. And I'm going to guarantee you that's the hardest place on earth to have a testimony. They know you and they take you for granted. You take them for granted. And if you're ever going to have a temper explosion, you have it there. If you're ever going to say, 
Well, the food's not any good today. Well, the steak is too tough. The dish isn't clean, and so on. Some people do that in restaurants, but not many. Most are embarrassed to do that in a restaurant, but you do it at home. You go home in the afternoon and the house is messy and the children have all, uh, they're all snotty-nosed and everything getting cleaned up and the husband comes, why don't you get this house fixed up? Make it look like something. You get mad. Jesus said, now look, you go home where they know you the best and act like God has done something for you. Act like a Christian. Go home to your rootage where they really know you and be what God wants you to be. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, tells us the relationship between a husband and wife. Husband, love your wife. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, how do you love the wife? Long-suffering, gentle, kind, seeking not its own, not easily provoked, does not puffed up, all those wonderful truths. That's how a husband is to love his wife. And when he does that, he's going to awaken in her that response that will make her want to love him. And then the scripture says, wife, you're to submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. We have all that mixed up today. And we have the ERA movement and the women's liberation movement. Women want to climb telephone posts and be like men and go out there and show their muscles and do everything that man does. God says that women are to be women and men are to be men and women are to be submissive to their own husband. That doesn't mean cow-tail to everything and come in and bow before him, but it means when he gets home, treat him like a king, run up and kiss him. Put your arms around him. Love him a little bit. Husbands need that. It's not so hard to know that people who are getting ready to be married need that, and they, they need it, and they get it. But lots of times after you've been married five or ten years, fifteen years, you forget about that. Husbands need that. Go home and be what God made you to be at home. That's what he was saying to this man. Go home and tell what great things God has done for you. And there's, there's more than one way of telling. We don't only tell with our tongue, we tell with our life. We tell with our actions. We tell with our tenderness. We tell with our joy. We tell with our song. We tell with our faithfulness. Secondly, Go home to your sphere of influence. Everybody has a sphere of influence. You have a sphere of influence that I don't have. Somebody on this side has a sphere of influence that somebody on this side does not have. Somebody up here in the front has a sphere of influence that somebody back there does not have. The Lord was saying, go home to that sphere of influence. The people that know you, the friends that know you, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things God have done for you. Go to your school. Go to your church. Go to your work. Go to your factories. Go to your games. Lots of times, it's not hard to come to church and sing. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. But it's not always that easy when we're out there where the going is tough, where the rubber hits the road. It's not that easy. Sometimes we don't go and tell what great things God hath done for us with our lives, with, with our song, with our disposition, with our joy, with our character. We're one thing there and we want something else at church. 
I've had people say, that's a tragedy. Sometimes I think it's just an excuse. But I've had people say, why I come to church sometimes and I see people I work with and they're different at church from the way they are at work. I go to church and see people I go to school with and they're different at church than the way they are at school. My friend, Jesus said, go home and tell your friends. Go home and tell your family. Go tell that sphere of influence what great things God hath done for you. Live it. Live it at home. Live it at work. Live it at school. Live that Christ-filled life. Now that was not very hard for this man to do because he had been filled with the devil. Have you ever been filled with the devil? There are Christians walking about, people who go to church every Sunday and they go out and live at home like they're full of the devil. There are people who go to church every Sunday and they go to their work and they go to their school and they go here and there and they act like they're filled with the devil. Jesus said to that man, you've been freed, you've been liberated. You go home and tell what great things God has done for you. And I want, to, I want you to notice where the home was. If you notice, he mentioned he went throughout the Decapolis. Now these were the 10 cities of the dispersion. Those 10 cities date back to the time when Greece was in charge of that area of the world. And those 10 cities were founded as Greek cities. They were not Jewish cities. They were not even Roman cities. They were Greek cities. And he was saying, you go out there beyond Jewry, beyond the Christian influence, beyond the Judaistic influence. You go there where there's paganism and you tell what great things Christ has done for you. And so that leads me to say, you go to your country, go to the places where you're from, go out into the nation and be what God wants you to be as a Christian. Go home and tell your friends what great things that God has done for you. America never needed Christians more than it needs them today. Our dear America is in trouble. We're not at a crossroads. We've passed the crossroads. And officially, we've tried to put God out. Now, there's a movement. There's a movement today, a strong movement, but it's still a movement. It's not succeeded yet. There's a movement to try to say it is wrong for us to put God out of the schoolroom, out of the classroom. It is wrong for us to put God out of the courtroom. It is wrong for us to put God out of these various agencies and institutions of our government. We need to put God back in. And I want to say to you, my friend, if you're God's child, we need to go and establish a beachhead in these areas where there was once a reverence and respect for the things of God in government. In the Sunday school lesson this morning, Luke 20, chapter 20, they came to the Lord and said, now, now uh, should we uh, render tribute to the government? What should we do about that? They thought they'd trap Jesus. And Jesus took a little coin. He said, whose, trib whose, whose image is this? Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God. There is no divorce between God and government. They go together. Christians have an obligation before God to be a Christian citizen among the governments of the world. Go home to your government. Go home to, your, to this world, this nation in which we live. Men, be willing to go to the service and serve your play time. Don't be a, car, a draft card dodger and burner and all that. And we need to be aware of what's going on in our world. Listen to this. 
with the help of the Soviet Union, Fidel Castro, communist Nicaragua, is fast becoming the largest and best equipped military force in Central America. Communist Nicaragua has an army of over 100,000 trained men who have already been mobilized. Communist Nicaragua is stockpiling millions of dollars worth of arms and equipment. Nicaragua has at their command over 240 tanks and armed vehicles and service-to-air missiles and so on and so on. I could talk about that a long time. It's very possible if we do not stop communism in Central America, we'll be knocking on our door at Texas. The Wall Street Journal reports 10,000 mistreated religious and political prisoners are locked up in Soviet mental institutions. The London Times reports chapels and private houses have been confiscated or bulldozed in 17 places. Prayer meetings have been widely broken up and their participants fined heavily. Parents have had their children forcibly put in boarding schools for giving them religious upbreeding. Mr. Chandler, an American attached to, the, to our embassy in Moscow said, I teach the only legal Sunday school in Russia. It is taught to Americans on the embassy property which is off limits to any Russian citizen. Churches are allowed some limited operation, but only by making compromises. Go home to your nation. You know, God brought us into the world in America. You were not born in a communist country. You were born in a land of the free, a home of the brave where our forefathers paid tremendous prices for the liberties we have today. What are we going to do about it? Fiddle away and twiddle our thumbs and do nothing about a nation that is on the skids morally, spiritually going bankrupt. There needs to be a reformation. There needs to be a revival. I don't know whether God will spare America, but God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. God can do something for us if we'll go home to our nation and tell what great things God hath done for us. Last of all, I think he was saying, go home to the world in which you live. And he would say that to us. We live in a world, a world that is in tragic need of Jesus. Untold millions are still untold. Our world is without Christ. There are millions of people this very day as we meet on March the 10th, 1985 at Glendale Auditorium. There are millions of people in our world on this very hour. You could go across continents and find people who have never even heard of Jesus. They don't know who he is. Know nothing about him. Go home and tell what great things God hath done. That is, go to the world in which you live and let's tell it. Go and tell what great things Christ hath done. Hudson Taylor did this several generations ago. He buried his life in, the, in Asia, in China. Started the China Inland Mission. Touched the lives of thousands of Chinese. God has used him. Lottie Moon did that in China for 40 years. Jim McKinley was a very dear friend of mine in in uh, college, God began to deal with his heart. First sermon I ever preached, I preached in his home church, Stony Point Church in Clinton County. Jim McKinley was there. Jim McKinley walked down an aisle, and he said, Here am I, Lord. Use me. 
use me. He didn't know all that that meant, neither did his family, but his father, who owned a farm in Clinton County, walked down and stood by his son. He said to his son with tears, he said, son, if you, God wants you to serve him, I'll, I'll stand with you. Whatever it means, I'll help you through college and through the seminary, I'll stand with you. And that's what it took, he had to sell his farm. He had to go to a public job. He took all the money he had and invested it in Jim and his other family members, and especially in Jim, helping him to go through college, finish college, go through the seminary. Jim McKinley has been in Bangladesh used to be Pakistan. He's been there for 28 years, preaching the gospel, touching the lives of people who need God. Go home and tell what great things God has done for you. Years ago, down in Knoxville, Tennessee, there was a boy named Bill. Bill had been saved as a junior boy. He gave his life to Jesus. He meant business. He was serious with the things of God. While he was in high school, he liked to tinker with cars and old, old machines. He was out in the garage working on a car one day and he heard a voice inside of his heart, Bill. Bill, when you finish high school, I want you to go to college. Bill said, all right, I'll do that, Lord. He finished high school, went to college. And while he was in college, he heard that voice again, Bill. Bill, when you finish college, I want you to go to medical school. All right, Lord, I'll go. I'll do it. He finished college and went to medical school. And while he was in medical school, just about to get out, he heard that little voice inside of his heart again and said, Bill, when you finish medical school, I want you to go to the seminary. In the seminary? Yes. I want you to be a preaching doctor. All right, Lord, I'll do it. And while he was in the seminary, he heard that little voice inside again saying, Bill, Bill, when you finish the seminary, I want you to go to China. All right, Lord, I'll do it. He finished the seminary. He went to China by himself. He built a little hospital in Wuchow. Began to touch the lives of the Chinese. God used him in an unusual way. He touched bodies with healing. Through medical science, he touched hearts with healing through the divine word of God and the Holy Spirit. And then the communists came. It was 1948 and 49, and they arrested Bill Wallace. They tried to torture him. They tried to get him to say he was a spy for the United States government. They did everything ugly they could to him. They hurt him, and, and, and yet he remained true. When they could not get him any other way, they killed him. They came to the nurses over at the hospital and said, you can come and get the body of Bill. He's dead. And those nurses went over and tenderly picked up the body of Bill Wallace. And they noticed the, the torture marks, the marks on his neck. They lovingly carried him outside the city of Wuchow and buried him on a little hillside put a little rock and stone over that grave that said, Bill Wallace, for to me to live is Christ. Some time ago, our Baptist friends were able to bring Bill Wallace's body back to America. 
We need some replacements for Bill. We need some men and women and boys and girls who'd get up and say, I'll go. I'll go to my world. I'll go to my country. I'll go to my, my circle of friends. I'll go home to my rootage, my family. And I'll tell what great things God has done for me. Will you do it? It begins by receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. What has God said to you today? Will you do what he said to do? If you're here without Jesus, you've never received him as your Savior. You need him as your personal Lord. I urge you to open your heart to Christ. If you're already a Christian, could God depend upon you to go and tell? To be what God wants you to be? There's some here that need to go and tell in their homes. Let their home life be different. There's some who need to go. Their sphere of influence, their, their friends, their workplaces. This week, tomorrow, live a different life for Jesus. There are some who need to say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. It may be some other place, some other nation. I want to offer my life to you to go. Our Father, we pray that just now Thou wouldst move across all of our hearts that somebody deep in the confines of his soul would say, Lord, you can count on me. I'll go back to my friends and family and tell what great things God has done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> I have a Savior, he's pleading in glory, a dear loving Savior, though earth friends be few. Jesus is speaking to your heart this morning. Would you turn to number 245? Number 245 in your hymn book. And after you've found that song, look at me just a moment. You've been so attentive, and I appreciate it very, very much. I believe there's someone in this place today who needs to take a stand for Christ. You either need to come and say, I've never been saved. I want Christ Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I want to plead with you to come today. There are others who are already a Christian. You need to move your letter to this church and take a stand for God and serve Him here. Maybe there's still others who've heard God speak to you. You'd like to say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do for Jesus' sake. Is there somebody heard God say that to you? W would you do it? Go home. Tell thy friends and thy family what great things God has done. It may mean you need to come and take a stand for God first. Especially if you've never been saved, you need, you need to come today. And if you've never been baptized, you've been saved, but you have not followed Jesus in baptism, come today while we begin to sing, Who will stand first for the King? Will you come quickly?